The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Today we're going to study the beginning part of the school of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do and what he's willing to do in you and in me. Now, we live in a culture of vile wickedness. I could not have imagined when I was a child that even the most honorable of our cultural organizations would have become vile. I would never have imagined that the U.S. Constitution would be totally pushed back by a vile Supreme Court that would make decisions that would utterly corrupt America. I never imagined that our honorable armed forces would be utterly corrupted by a president with no moral Christian values. I could not have imagined that. I could not have imagined that heroes of the world in football and baseball and sports who were lifted up when I was a young man, a child. They were lifted up as role models. And today, they're vile. They're wicked. They do every unclean thing in public. (laughs) I could not have imagined that the attention 
of the country would be focused on wicked men and women like the Kardashians. These things, these cultural events that occur in America today were beyond my imagination. And yet, today, even in the church, we have a vile culture of sin. Churches who have become whorehouses, places of utter wickedness. Churches who bring in every kind of vile music over the Christmas holidays this last time. A Hillsong church out of Australia played O Holy Night. And the woman who sang was dressed in a very risque, barely covering white dress. And it was like a burlesque show with all the others, with their fans, with their with her Hollywood production. And she sang, Oh, Holy Night. It was a vile, wicked show in the midst of a church Christmas show. (laughs) Who would have ever imagined that churches would put on shows or put on concerts and then charge the blessed people of God if they came to the concert in the church? Who could have imagined these things? Who could have imagined churches today literally considering their pastor to be a CEO, considering the church to be a business, considering that the most important part of church is church growth? adding pagans to your congregation. I could not have imagined this just a few short years ago. And yet that vile culture now rules over not just American culture, but now it rules over the church culture. It has turned wicked and vile. It is self-promoting. It is filled with ambition and charlatans stand before the congregation and preen like a peacock, lifting up their name and their brand. Who would have ever imagined that a church would consider of utmost importance their branding, their name? Who would have imagined the day would come when churches would have to have their goals laid out as though that were up for grabs. Who would have imagined that it would all become something about bail, money? It grieves my heart. It causes me great anguish. There was a day in America when the pulpits thundered with righteousness. 
There was a day when pastors were not afraid to be men. Today, many pastors are effeminate, preaching cute little sermonettes. I asked one one man how he liked his church. He said, oh, I love our new pastor. I said, why do you love your new pastor? Oh, because he only preaches for 15 minutes. It's entertaining. It's inspirational. And then we're out of there. I said, brother, why do you go to church? If it's a show. And why are you only able to stand a 15-minute presentation? He said, that's all I'm comfortable with. Well, give him a 15-minute football game, and he'd go ballistic. No, he wants the fullness of the football game. He wants to get out of church so he can get home and get to his party. Vile wickedness. All under the name of being Christian. So today we do need to talk about the school of the Holy Spirit. We need to talk about what it means. I've been sharing with you this week out of John, the first chapter. One of the most powerful parts is that this word was with God and was God. He was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overthrown it or overtaken it. But it looks today as though the light has been cast out of the church and every foolish thing has been brought in. Verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in the name, he gave the right, the privilege, the authority to become children of God. So today the church is filled with people who have the right, because they have said we will receive Jesus, they've been given, granted the authority to be born again, but they have aborted that birth and they have instead walked in the vile wickedness of our culture and been comforted by their sweet-talking little effeminate pastors being told, oh, it's okay, you can walk in your sin and still be saved. God loves you. They're there, pat on the head. Are you kidding me? The most serious endeavor of the human life is to walk in righteousness before God, to be prepared for eternity. We're dealing here with with eternity versus hell. It's serious. Every other thing is but fluff and wickedness. So let's, let's talk today about the school of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get very far. But let's get started. And I want to get started by going back to a book by Reese, about Reese Howells. 
It's entitled Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb, and he addresses the actual experience of Reese Howell's entering into the fullness of the school of the Holy Spirit. Now, I warn you, it is not easy to enter the school of the Holy Spirit. Let me share with you. Reese Howells was at a meeting. And by the way, Reese Howells was a phenomenal pastor, missionary, educator. He walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, it became a new understanding for Reese that the Holy Spirit was a person, exactly like Jesus, and that this person wanted to come and dwell in him. Now, he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He had a meeting with the Holy Spirit. If you want to enter into the school of the Holy Spirit, You're going to have to be quickened in your spirit to be hungry for God. And you're going to have to deny the vile culture of America. You're going to have to turn the television off. You're going to have to turn away from every vile thing. And you're going to have to have a meeting with the Holy Spirit. And you arrange that meeting by going into the prayer closet and being very forthright about your spirit condition. And you're going to have to walk in the blood of Jesus Christ and ask him to put enmity between you and the devil, Genesis 3.15. Hatred for your sin. Hatred for the devil. Now this meeting that he had with the Holy Spirit was was very, very real for him. And Reese says, I saw him as a person apart from flesh and blood, and he said to me, as the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. But it must belong to me without reserve. For two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? Romans 12, 1 and 2. But if I come in, I must come as God, and you must go out. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. I shall not mix myself with yourself. Now understand, the school of the Holy Spirit is not something you can enter into in the willfulness of your flesh. It is a very serious decision, a life and death decision. 
If you do not enter into the school of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. You must enter. You must come out and be separate from the vileness of our culture. You cannot dwell in both. You either dwell in darkness or you dwell in light. There is no intermediate ground, even though most in our wicked, vile culture of sin have been taught that there is a middle ground and that it's safe to dwell there. There is no such middle ground. It was unconditional surrender for him. It was clear. I, on one hand, saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell. But there were many things very dear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. It was clear to me, he says, that every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross and that he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was unconditional surrender. From the meeting, Reese went out into a field where he literally wept because, as he said, I had received a sentence of death as really as a prisoner in the dock. I had lived in my body for 26 years, and could I easily give it up? Could I easily give it up? Who could give his life up for another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes? if it is easy to die. I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul makes that very plain in Romans, the sixth chapter. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he was offering me. How I wish I had never seen it. One thing he reminded of was that he had only come to take what I had already promised the Savior, not in part, but in whole. If you have said, I will serve you, Jesus, then Jesus wants to come and make good on that offer that you have made to him. If you do not move forward, if you are not born from above, if you are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit and enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, you are lost. Being religious will not save you. Knowing theology will not save you. Doing some self-improvement is not sufficient to enter into heaven. There must be a supernatural work of deliverance done in your life, a total regenerative change. Since he had died for me, I had died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. It took five days to make the decision. 
days were spent alone with God. This is a a 20-some-year-old young man. Like Isaiah, I saw the holiness of God. And I saw my own corrupt nature. It wasn't sins, quote-unquote, that I saw, but nature touched by the fall. I was utterly corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw there was as much difference between the Holy Spirit and myself as between light and darkness. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through for that whole week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my natural self. can only get out of a thing what's in the root. He was dealing with self. He was not going to take any superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood. He could never take a thing away until I gave my consent. Then the moment I gave it, some purging took place. Isaiah 6, 5-7. through And I could never touch that thing again. It was not saying I was purged and the thing still had a hold on me. No, it was a breaking. It was a dying. And it was the Holy Ghost taking control. Day by day, the dealing went on. He was coming in as God, and I had lived as a man. And what is permissible to an ordinary man, he told me, will not be permissible to you. First, there was the love of money, that root of all evil, which had formerly taken Reese to America. The Lord told him that he would take out of his nature all taste for money and any ambition for the ownership of money. I had to consider what that meant, Reese said later. Money would be no more to me than it was to John the Baptist or to the Savior. To an extent, this was dealt with in my new birth, but now the Holy Spirit was getting at the root of the issue. The dealing on that lasted a whole day, and by the evening, my attitude toward money had completely changed. Then there was the fact that he would never have the right to a choice in making a home. I saw that I could never give my life to another person to live to that one alone. Could the Savior have given his life and attention to one person instead of to a lost world? Neither could the Holy Spirit. He took plenty of time to show me exactly what it would mean. The life he would live would be for the world. Was I willing for that? Among other things that were dealt with was ambition. How could he have any if the Holy Spirit came in? 
The way the Lord showed it to him was like this. Supposing he had a mission in town and another mission opened in the same place. If there was jealousy between the two, it was, and it was better for the town only to have one, then it would be his which would have to go. Or suppose that he and another man should apply for the same job. He would have to let the other man have it. Or if he was earning 12 shekels a day and another man with a family was earning much less, the Spirit of God could tell him to give his job to that man. He saw that the Holy Spirit, in ways like that, taking the place of the other, suffering instead of the other man's suffering. Yes, was he willing to do that? And finally he said, yes. I give up all ownership of of my life. On the fifth day, his reputation was touched. As he was thinking of men of the Bible who were full of the Holy Spirit, and his mind turned especially to John the Baptist, the Lord said to me, then I may live through you the kind of life I lived through him. A Nazarene, clothed in camel's hair, living in a desert. Even in this, or what might be its modern equivalent, a real decision had to be made. If I live my life in you, the Holy Spirit said, and that is the kind of life I choose, you cannot stop me, was the Lord's word. As the Savior was despised, he must be willing to likewise be despised, misunderstood. By Friday night, each point had been faced. He knew exactly what was being offered. The choice between temporal and eternal gain. The Spirit summed the issue up for him. On no account will I allow you to cherish a thing, a single thought of self. And the life I will live in you will be 100% for others. You will never be able to save yourself any more than the Savior could when he was on the earth. Now, are you willing? And Reese was to give his final answer. That night, a friend said to him, If some of us come over after the meeting, will you tell us of your position in Christ? Will you tell us of your position in Christ? At once, the Holy Spirit challenged him, How can you do that? You have seen the position of the overcomers, but you have not entered it. I have been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight, and remember your will must go out. On no account will I allow you to bring in a cross current where I send you you must go. What I say to you, you must do.
It was the final battle of the will. Now you recognize what he's talking about. I've been sharing this with you. I've been talking about it all week. (laughs) Receiving Jesus is not receiving salvation. There is much more than just saying, Jesus, I will accept you as my Savior. There must be a deep inner working of cleansing, of breaking. There must be a work of regeneration, of change, of being made new. There must be an entering in to total surrender to the Holy Spirit. This sounds strange to our ears in the vile, wicked culture of America. It sounds strange to the entertainment-centered modern church that wants to give you wonderful strategies so you can build up your wealth and be more successful in relationships. I listened to a radio ad that John Maxwell is airing on many radio stations. This man was one time a faithful pastor in Southern California. But today he's become a modern huckster for the prosperity gospel, for success, for how to gain riches and wealth in the world. He has utterly abandoned how to have wealth and riches in the kingdom of heaven. He has prostituted his gifts and his call to ministry. He has squandered his time and his talent. And the worst part is he's encouraging thousands of others to likewise squander their time that they will not be prepared to enter into heaven. He breaks my heart. There is a great work that must be done, and it's going to take soberness of mind. It's going to take time. It's going to take a focused energy, a searching after God. If you are going to leave the vile culture of America and of the American church, and you're going to find the real Jesus of Scripture, you're going to have to search after him with all of your heart. You're going to have to flee the vile churches of our day. You're going to have to search. It's going to consume your time and your energy. You are not going to lackadaisically walk into the kingdom of God. Jesus said it was a narrow, a narrow gate, a suffering way, and few would find it. I come day by day on this radio broadcast to ask you, to urge you, to confront you, 
will you wake up? Will you wake up to the seduction of the vile world and its culture, to the wickedness of our day? Will you stop just lazing along, like row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Oh, no, it ends in hell. I'm concerned about you. I can tell you that it has taken me every ounce of energy. I have spent my entire past years searching after Jesus, being taught lies by the modern church. I've had to utterly reject them. I've had to leave a denomination that was utterly legalistic and not according to the scriptures. I know what it's like to be blackballed. I know what it's like to walk down the street and have precious people that I fellowshiped with at one time, seminary partners and friends turn and not even want to speak with me. I know what it's like to be an object of scorn and hatred for Jesus. I know many of you are uncomfortable with the word I speak. Some of you send me very harsh and angry emails. I know what it's like to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to do the same thing? Are you willing to leave all of the vile culture of sin behind? Are you willing to give every dollar you have, every ounce of energy you have to seek after Jesus and to wake up? You have been lulled to sleep. And the kingdom of God is at hand. The coming of Jesus is here. We are watching daily as prophecies are being fulfilled. We live in the very last hour of this earth's history. And many of you are asleep and being swept toward utter darkness. And yet you call yourself a Christian. It's time to wake up. How do I stand in a in a church with a group of men that I love. And all they can talk about is football. And one of the men begins to scorn me for my position. And I say to them, I'm so troubled. How How is it possible that you can stand in the church as the body of Christ And all you guys can talk about is football. Why aren't you talking about Jesus? Why aren't you praying with one another? Why don't you recognize your your job as holding one another accountable as brothers in Christ? How is it possible that you can stand here and speak and enjoy the vile wickedness of this world's culture? How can you do that? Wake up. I'm just incredulous at what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, that is called Christian fellowship. When did you last stand with a brother or sister and pray for them, knowing that they're caught in the midst of some vile wickedness, Do you even know the secret life of the men and women you associate with? 
Do you ask them questions? What if they began to ask you questions? What vile wickedness are you involved with? What is your position in Jesus Christ today? How would you answer? If someone says to you, What has Jesus said to you today? How would you answer? Would you be stunned by the question and not have an adequate answer because you've been drifting along in the vile wickedness of the culture and of the church? Or are you alive in Jesus? Are you hungry for the prayers of your brothers and sisters? Do you confess your sins one to another that you may be forgiven and healed in Christ? I don't know how to even talk about this today. My heart is so anguished. (laughs) Reese House continues. I ask, I ask the Holy Spirit for more time. But he said, you will not have a minute after six o'clock. And when I heard that, it's exactly as if a wild beast was roused in me. You gave me free will, I answered, and now you force me to give it up. I do not force you, he replied. But for three years you have been saying that you are not your own and that you wanted to give your life back to the Savior as completely as he gave his for you. Oh, I climbed down in a second. The way I had said it was an insult to the Trinity. I am sorry, I told him. I didn't mean what I said. You are not forced to give up your will, he said. But at six o'clock, I will take your decision. After that, you will never get another chance. It was my last offer, my last chance. I saw that throne in Revelation 3.21 and all my future for eternity going. I said, please forgive me. I want to do it. One more question came. Are you willing? It was ten minutes to six. I wanted to do it, but I could not. Your mind is very keen when when you were tested and in a flash it came to me how can self be willing to give up self five minutes to six came I was afraid of those last five minutes I could count the ticks of the clock and then the spirit spoke again if you can't be willing Would you like me to help you? Are you willing to be made willing? Isn't that the question today? Are you willing to be made willing to be put to death on that cross? It is Jesus by his blood that must crucify you. It is Jesus who must circumcise your heart. 
Are you willing to be made willing? Or does your spirit rise up in rebellion against this broadcast today? Do you think what I am saying to you is foolishness? Do you blow it off with, oh, I'm saved? Do you blow it off with, I've been saved for many years and I'm a mature Christian? (laughs) Are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to wake up and leave the vile, wicked culture of today's environment, the world, and the modern church? Are you willing to be revived by the Spirit of God and transformed? Are you willing to have the Holy Spirit enter you and deal with every part of the darkness of your heart? Are you willing for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you? The enemy whispered, he said, Take care. When a stronger person than you yourself is on the other side, to be willing to be made willing is just the same as to be willing. As I was thinking upon that point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead had come in. He gave Reese that word in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Immediately, said Reese, I was transported to another realm within the sacred veil where the Father, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit live. There I heard God speaking to me, and I have lived there ever since. When the Holy Spirit enters, he comes in to abide forever. To the blood of Jesus be the glory. Are you willing to be willing to be made willing? Now, Reese Howells was by nature a very quiet, withdrawn person. He was retiring. He did not normally speak in public. But when the Holy Spirit entered, he loosed his tongue and brought his own boldness into Reese. There was a praise meeting that morning in the convention tent with about a thousand people present, including some 200 pastors The first person Reese saw there was his own pastor. And if anything could have stopped him from speaking, it was the fact of his presence. But during the meeting, Reese stood up and told them clearly and calmly 
that he was calling them to witness that the Holy Spirit who had entered the apostles on the day of Pentecost had entered into him and would produce similar results. The effect was so great that during the next week, as crowds had gathered to hear the messages from famous speakers, literally hundreds came to Reese, asking how the Holy Spirit had entered him. It was the first stream of those promised rivers, which, as Jesus said, flow out of those in whom the Spirit dwells. If you're to enter into the school of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to recognize that it is a supernatural work of God. He brings you into his banqueting house, and his banner over you is love. But it means you must leave behind the darkness, and you must enter into the light. Now, I'm not going to go any further today on this topic. You're welcome to call. I have just a few minutes left in this broadcast. If you need me to pray with you, if this message has struck home, I'm here to pray with you. 877-534-0780 877-534-0780. Now, while I'm waiting for you to quickly call, we are now $2,200 short of the cost of the broadcast for the month of January. I'm spending time fasting and praying and asking the Lord to send those who would contribute to cover this shortage. I thank each of you who has given. One dear brother today sent a hundred dollars and I thank him for that gift. And so we're now at $2,200 short. Many of you have contributed some $10, some $20, some $100, some $200, $250. I thank each one of you who has given. If this message is important to you and you want this to be broadcast in Washington, D.C., then I ask that you open your hearts. I'm not doing an offertory today because the Holy Spirit said I must come and teach about the school of the Holy Spirit. So I stand by faith that you will move quickly and that we will be able to continue this broadcast in the next month. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or would you come and bring your tithe or offering and visit the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday, the last Sunday of the month? We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's right off Route 95. The address, 
All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, and the zip code 22192. I stand by faith that the Lord will move in your heart to give sacrificially for the work of God. And I thank you. I am humbled by how you have given in the past and how you have allowed me the privilege in Jesus to come and give you an unvarnished presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll be able to access this broadcast by video and by podcast. The page is completely changed and updated so that it now functions well. So I invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We have five minutes remaining, and we still have no one who is called. I'll know revival has come when the phone lines are jammed. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit to move in your hearts. Now, in the last minutes of this broadcast, I'm going to read for you a portion of a New Testament that was just published by Malcolm Lowry, Dr. Malcolm Lowry. It is the finest edition of the New Testament. It is a brand new translation. It is not based on the Dewey version. It leaves behind those mistranslations. This is the most scholarly work, the most carefully done work I have ever read. I'm going to read for you a portion of chapter 6, Romans 6. What then shall we say? Continue in sin so that the grace may become more and more? Certainly not. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what I've been sharing with you today, being baptized into the death of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It says, really, we were buried together with him by the means of the baptism into the death, just as Christ was raised out from among the dead, men by the glory of the Father, so we also may walk around in the newness of life. For if we have been united in all the similarities of his death, then we shall also be united in the similarity of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we not hereafter serve sin. For the one having died has been freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him 
knowing that Christ, having been raised out from among the dead men, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for in that he died, he died with reference to sin once and for all. But in that he lives, he lives with respect to God. So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's from the brand new, just published Malcolm Lavender, Dr. Malcolm Lavender's New Testament. I'll be sharing more about this as we move into the future. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. Again, I want to give you the address. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We meet on Sunday at 12 noon. We begin with prayer. Come and join us. Bring your tithe and offering. And we'll finish this month ready to go into next month. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I want you to be awake in Christ. I want you to be set free from the culture of sin. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless for the presence of His glory.